so 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 what are the hold hold on so so what are these descriptions he's referring to in the Bible that indicate that Jesus is black? Woolly hair and tan skin. <laughs> Woolly hair. Have you ever read that as a description? Rich, have you? Oh. No, oh, I heard the description though that was uh, from Pilate to Caesar and said he had blue eyes and fair complected and fair hair. Well, but that's in the Arco volume. So where, where is where is the bushy hair and the tawny skin or whatever in the Bible? That what was the other Russ? Jesus. <laughs> what, what did you say that the guy said the description in the Bible was? He had wool hair. His feet were tan as copper or something. Wool-like hair. You see, that guy's been listening to, let's see, let's just type in a Google search. Where in the Bible is the description of Jesus? in there. Well, why don't we put him on the air saying it? The black guy? Yeah, it's on the... Just put... Head of Black Lives Matter wants to burn the system down, and that, that interview will come right up. About three minutes. And the poor little girl interviewing him doesn't know how to handle it. He just cleans her cloth. You didn't know what hit her. All right. Well, here's history.com. Um, what did Jesus look like? We can trust the History Channel, right? We can trust history.com. Yep. For oh, centuries. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that, Rich. What does the Bible say? The Bible offers few clues about Christ's physical appearance. Most of what we know about Jesus comes from the first four books of the New Testament Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Jesus was a Jewish man, which we know is a lie, and raised in the town of Nazareth, formerly Palestine, now northern Israel, during the first century A.D., uh, 30 years old, except that he didn't stand out in any particular way. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane before the crucifixion, Matthew 26, 47, 56, Judas Iscariot had to point Jesus out to his soldiers among the disciples. Well, you know, that would have been a distinct uh, difficulty. If you've got to point the guy out, he probably wasn't the woolly-haired guy with the tawny feet. <laughs> I'm just just saying. <laughs> because he probably oh, he looked, looked like... looked like all the Benjamites. <laughs> you know, he must be. He couldn't have looked like just everybody else that was there, including Roman soldiers, uh, because they appeared similar to one another. <laughs> Okay, let's see what they got here. For many scholars, Revelation 1, 14, 15 
offers a clue that Jesus' skin was a darker hue and that his hair was woolly in texture. All right, Revelation chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Well, you know, one thing's for sure, you guys. We can always learn something from the History Channel. Let's see, Revelation chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as flame of fire. Now, if I were to ask you if somebody's hair was white, um, what would you use to describe a person with white hair? White as wool does the job, but it doesn't right. say white, white, white as wool does the job. It's not woolly hair, white as wool. That's entirely different. You know, it's just like you said, Russell, the woman that was interviewing him, she's got nothing to come back on because she doesn't know anything. And she won't even crack the Bible and say, well, wait a minute, where are you getting that from? And if he doesn't have an answer, say, well, what am I interviewing you for? Sounds to me like all you are is talk. You don't have any truth, so give me some truth. But she can't do that, can she? No, and what she did was she said, well, I know he's from the Middle East. So the guy said, so you know he wasn't white if he was Middle Eastern. And she agreed with him. Because she knows no history. She doesn't know a single thing. The scripture in Revelation 1, 14, 15 goes on to say, white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. Um, You know, I tell you what, when I spend a lot of time outside, I would say that my skin is burnished bronze much more than it is black. Just saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, he said that is the epitome of white privilege and how we kept kept them down was this whole myth that Jesus was white. Yeah, and... So does that mean he had white privilege or he didn't have white privilege? Well, they want to bring him down. He is the system. Remember what you were saying a couple of weeks ago? Exactly. I mean, clearly, pure and simple. And and, and I had texted you, and we kind of touched on it last week. I texted you that one text, and I said, you know, it hit me and occurred to me that, that, you know, the, the very... Uh, entity that is desired to be brought down is Christianity. Uh, because Christianity, and, and it's probably no accident, some of the notes that I've got for tonight. Um, because it is no accident. Um, race baiters and race haters. That's the, the title for the fellowship that I uh, had, had some notes for. Race baiters and race haters. And in order to understand what a race baiter and a race hater is, you have to have some biblical history. And without the biblical history, you can't even begin to have a conversation about race. 
whichever side of the fence you're going to be on on the race baiter or race hater question or issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the couple that came out to defend their property, they've done nothing but make fun of them for the last three days. Uh, from somewhere in Washington, you mean, those people there? Well, I thought it was Florida or Georgia. Oh, I don't know, because I don't know. Oh, well, they just came out of their house with, with weapons when they were tearing up their yard, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah. Minnesota. Okay. Minnesota? Yeah, St. Paul. The guy came out with an AI with a nice extended clip. Yeah, I don't know whether he had night vision or not, but it, uh, it was middle of the day, so he didn't need night vision. But that might give them food for thought, you know. They decide they're going to start to come into the suburbs. They'll be meeting guys like that. And did you hear what the mayor said? She was offended by his threat of violence against Black Lives Matter members. Yeah, the cops backed the guy, though, and his wife. Yeah. Yeah, they, they uh, ripped down an iron gate and were trespassing in private homeowners. So uh, it was supposed to be 500 of them, too. Yeah, well, that's, that's you know, that's the, that's the intention. That's why I got out of that liberal land of the loons. It's almost biblical that one to put a thousand to flight and two ten thousand. Well, the two yeah. of them did five hundred. Well, you know, and the thing of it is, is that they love to come back um, to to see to see that they can catch you off guard and catch you unawares, and then then they really really do their work. Um, Psalm 141 was just something that uh, I had open here because I had it kind of as a lead-in. I think it goes to the issue that you just spoke to, Russell, about the woman interviewing. Um, And I'll explain my meaning. It says, uh, 141 verse 5, Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness, and let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth, as when one cuts and cleaves wood upon the earth. But my eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord is the Lord. In thee is my trust. Leave it not my soul. Leave not my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me, and the and the gins of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, whilst that I with all escape. I probably butchered it a little bit, but you know he's saying, "Let the righteous smite me." In other words, wake me up. Let the righteous smack me upside the head. It'll be a kindness. 
Let him reprove me. It'll be genuine, you know. It'll be excellent as oil. Um, and But, he says, yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities, meaning the wicked, because he wants to have his heart kept from evil, is what the psalm, psalmist is expressing. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words. In other words, when they're overthrown, because he spoke righteously and was smited by them anyway, because he spoke those righteousness, when, when their judgment comes, they're going to hear his words. They're going to hear his calls and uh, his, uh, his righteous indigna- indignation and judgment that he was voicing at the time that, that they should be brought low. And... And it just it's like the lady, she can't she can't smite him with the righteousness of the word because she has it not in her. She's got none of this knowledge. And if we don't even know this Christ Jesus, this redeemer of Israel, and that he had to be like as we are, and that he had to be of his brethren, uh, then we're once again left without anywhere to even go, um, because there's just a total lack of an understanding. Galatians 3.24 is, I believe, where we find that. And um, uh, somebody's got there faster than me, but I'm having a little. There we go. Um, I think I'm there now. Um, yeah. Um, looking for context here, but I'll just. Uh, this is the part that. Well, you know, it's a great part, actually, because all of 315 to 329, 25, is basically the confirmation. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be, a, but, a, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuls or adds unto it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serves the law? Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. 
But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. You know, another thing that should be kept in mind, that law and will are the same word. I have the same meaning. Yeah, the law and the word? Yeah, so... Uh, thy law be done on earth as it is in kingdom come. It's perfectly acceptable translation. And yet they're saying his will's been done away with, aren't they? And it has right. been, hasn't it? Yep. It's been replaced by a different will, I guess. Man's will, I guess. See, that's well, what I was... Good. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Uh, the scripture I was going to say that, that I was looking for, um, maybe it's in Corinthians. I thought it was there because uh, I already had some underlining there, but... Um, um, Well, the let me, let me, yeah, go ahead. Let me finish something. This was brought to me that, that I'll just give you an example. When the when the Israelites left Egypt, they took foreigners with them. Okay, that's pretty clear that it's in the Bible that some people were not Israelites, and I think, as I remember, uh, God said. Let them come as, you know, if they, they want to follow me and follow our ways. Now, you recall something similar to that? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a mixed multitude, didn't they? Yeah, so. Say again. They called it the mixed multitude? Right. So how could God dare deny one of them from falling in love with one of the Israelites if they were on the same page. See how this works? And, you know, I just, I just, I think that God has order. I know he has order. And with that order, You've got to use some common sense. Why would you want to start marriage in a difficult situation? Is it because all the music they've listened to is all you need is love? No, is that the brainwashing through the music? Love everybody? And it was told to me that if they're God's people and they follow God, he doesn't see color. He doesn't see other races. That was only in those races that were against him. That uh, that Jacob was forbid from marrying 
you know. Well, that guy was colorblind, huh? Well, yeah, and he's 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 on my bad side now. Now, the scripture that I was thinking of is in Hebrews. I don't know why I didn't really know and remember that it was there, but uh, nonetheless, um, it's Hebrews chapter 2. So for the gentleman who says that, you know, he was obviously uh, black because the scripture says that he had woolly hair and feet like bronze, um, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me if you took a fairly tanned uh, Caucasian, uh, we could call him a surfer dude, and we stood him up next to um, a black man, and um, we looked in and compared the feet. I think that would be fairly um, easy to conclude which one is his feet like uh, bronze brass. Um, now, the other question here, or this is a more explicit scripture to me in terms of what his identification markings would be like, and that would be this one here, which says, wherefore in all things, this is uh, Hebrews 2.17, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And um, that is a, you know, some might want to say, well, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people means all people, but I can prove to you with time and uh, scripturally that the word people there is referring to those people whom he came to redeem. Um, so suffice it now that we've covered that, we will say, uh, because it can be proven. Uh, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. All right, well then, if he was made like unto his brethren, then he would look like his brethren. So that would require us to do a study into his brethren. And if one were to do a study into his brethren, it brings me to many of the first notes that I had here uh, regarding this particular uh, man, the Redeemer, Christ, and prophesied in Isaiah, prophesied in Jeremiah, prophesied in the prophets. Um, This was a prophecy, or those were prophecies about a king that would rise out of Israel. So if he was made like of his brethren, um, you know, we, we could do a number of fellowship studies and completely debunk that. But many of those studies are already done and in the archives here at Gideon Warrior Network, certainly. Israel, Judah, and Jew is one series that uh, clearly and unequivocally establishes those uh, distinctions, racial distinctions, if you will. So we've already got much of those things already covered because we talk about them routinely. Um, We'd have to discuss the scriptures where um, Christ said that uh, he came only unto his sheep. 
of the house of Israel, where he rejected the Canaanite woman and said, it is not meat to give the children's bread to dogs. Uh, she, of course, encouraged him and said, do not the dogs eat of their master's table. And he, of course, granted her her request because she acknowledged who he was, acknowledged what she was, if you're honest with the scriptures, that she um, was not to receive the the bread that Christ said that he was bringing. Um, he, you'd have to reject uh, um, a whole host of, of scriptures, too, too numerous to, to mention, in order to accomplish uh, that Christ was not an Israelite. So if we can establish that he was an Israelite, then we can clearly establish that he was not black. Um, that doesn't have anything to do with our, our, our propensity as we are falsely accused to be racist, which is why this fellowship should be entitled Race Baiters and Race Haters. Because truthfully, they do bait you with race and they do hate your race. Pure and simple. Well, going back um, to the, the proof that Christ was a white guy our ancestors, when they came out of Babylon and Assyria, went over the Caucasus Mountains and got their name Caucasian. And every one of the uh, the major houses of uh, rulership in England and uh, the Dutch and the German kings and princes all draw their lineage from the house of David. So I, I don't think any of those guys have got woolly hair. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, the dispersion uh, that was referred to in 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, that is where they migrated west and north of the Black Sea um, up through... Um, the regions of Hungary, basically, and uh, you have Goths and Gitae, uh the um, Scythians, all north and west of the Caspian Sea, uh, the region that Rich just mentioned, passage uh, over the Caucasus Mountain ranges. But, but we're we're re, we're remaking the wheel. We know what we 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 know what the intent of this man was in his statement. He he didn't really believe it. He he's a anti-Christian. You know what I'm saying? You know what a revolutionary is. Right. That's somebody that. To bring the system down, right? So you got to define what is the system. 
that he's talking about, and it's the system that you were talking about two weeks ago. Yes, he says where he said we need people who are willing to bring down this system of white supremacy, and Christ is viewed as the head of that white supremacy. And I think it's no accident that it is something that we should be picking up on, which is why we brought it out several weeks ago. And when I heard that audio interview with Rush and heard those things being said, it immediately piqued everything within me of what this was about. And as I mentioned to you then a couple of day, weeks after that we did that fellowship is that this is about bringing down Christ. And it wasn't but four or five days later, apparently it was carried on Fox News that, that you know, that's part of the intention. I mean, and they're very explicit in what, what it is that their demands are. Absolutely. If this isn't, if this isn't enough to wake people up, to the truth of what it, what it is that they're all about. And so, again, like I say, I think it's appropriate, race baiters and race haters, because they are saying, we hate your race. Yes, they are. And it's high time that our people recognize that that's what they're saying. Well, see, our... While we are being accused, while we are the ones being accused. We don't know how to hate. And you remember the poem, when the Saxons began to learn to hate? Mm-hmm. That's very, very relevant right now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Genesis that's, 19. That's sort of, that oh, sort of goes oh. right along with that guy protecting his home with the uh, AR-15. He'd had enough, and that Saxon was ready to do some hatred. Yeah. You say Genesis 15? Genesis 19, 5 to 6. Um, you know, I, I didn't write the book, but of course, if you want to tear down the system of this quote-unquote white supremacy, um, you know, again, as I say, knowing the, the promise that God made to Abraham and who Abraham's descendants are today in America, or excuse me, in the world, which includes America, um, you know, this is, this is something that they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came unto you this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. I might have wrote the wrong one down. Genesis nineteen five and 6. Yeah, I, I didn't write the one, right one down. Uh, the one I'm looking for is where um, uh, they were God's own possession among all the people of the earth. Probably could find that quick enough. It's probably Exodus. I could quick flip to Exodus. My apologies on that. I don't know how I do that sometimes. Just got something in my head and I think about another scripture while I or the another book as I'm writing something down, I guess. Exodus nineteen. Uh 
Yeah, I think this is it. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice, indeed, keep my covenant, and you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto Israel. And so that's, that's part of part of the whole thing. But, you know, we, have, we, we can go through multitudes and multitudes of scriptures. <clears throat> and as you say, Russell, he doesn't care about that. If we were to bring him the multitude of scriptures, he is bringing down or desires to bring down that which has been in his mind above him, which has kept him from acting and carrying on disorderly. Yeah. And, and truth be known, he's probably being paid by somebody. Think about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think there's a good possibility all of them are. Yeah, these people don't know anything about Marx. I'll just call them what they want to be called, these people of color. Majority of them are not that well educated in history. Now, not all of them, a bunch of them are, but I'm talking generally speaking, or they wouldn't want to be dragging down statues of people that were very pro-North. Yeah, pro-their cause. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You're not going to get me to call it a civil war because there's nothing civil about war. But one thing we can see is exactly how they started this war, can't we? Absolutely. It was it was race race bait, race baiters and race haters. Uh-huh. Just just right history right now. War broke out, it would be the people that that refused to wear the mask. You know, they were the uh people that you just come up with any narrative you want. And so that's the way they'll write it in the history book. People that uh, didn't conform to the rules of the COVID-19. They had to be you dealt with. we renamed our state? Yeah. we got a new name for our state now. It's Massachusetts. Is that right? Well, I heard they're going to rename Kansas uh, Kunta Kinta. Kunta Kinta Kinta. And Massachusetts is going to be Mandingo. Montana. Yeah. And, And as I told Doug, I said, let's go over to their land and look for a success story about anything other than the takeover of South South Africa. I'd say that was a success. But look what a wonderful job's going on in uh, Rhodesia. Uh, That sweet brother has turned that country around, hasn't he? Oh, look, look at Somalia. Yeah, the Congo. Take your pick. Where's the one with, uh, over there under Somalia, that, that one that had the dictator that was horrendous? 
Rwanda. Rwanda, yeah. What was the dictator there? Is it Idi Amin? Yeah, Idi Amin. He was a... Boy, that's a brother that loved his brothers, isn't he? Black Lives He just exuded brotherly love. Amos chapter... All you need is love, too. Yeah. Amos 3, 1 and 2, Hear the word the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So, you only of all the families of the earth have I known. That's, you know, that's white supremacy. Um, God had the audacity to choose a people to be his big brother, if you will, in terms of seeing to it that righteousness and the rule of law was carried out in the creation, and he, uh, he made a mistake. You see, he made a mistake. He should not. He should not have done that because, because he does not know better than the people know. Uh-huh. Our creator, our creator, cannot possibly know more and better how to have those function within the creation. And uh, we've got to tell this this creator uh, the way that it should be. And that's what they intend to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you think why people came here in the first place. They wanted law and order, didn't they? Freedom. That's they wanted what to practice you... Christianity. They wanted yeah. to have the freedom to worship. They wanted the freedom to worship this racist God. Well, in the I manner, prom- I'll promise you they did not come over here so pedophiles could ro- roam the villages. And children couldn't go outside and play. They'd had all that mm-hmm. they could handle. That's what law and order and a Christian people, uh, they eradicate that crap. With a, with and, a rope or, or stones, however you want to do it. Right. Loving your God and then loving your neighbor as yourself because you love God and want to do according to his will. Mm-hmm. Psalm one forty seven nineteen twenty. He showed his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He has not dealt so with any nation, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise you, the Lord. Well, so anyhow, 
one of the things that I was going to bring out regarding race baiters and race haters is um, when Christ spoke, uh, it'll say, for example, in John chapter 12, verse 13, um, there were Israelite Judeans in the land of Judea at the time that recognized the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 when he entered into Jerusalem. And even though it was uh, nearly almost a thousand years, it was definitely at least 900. And since we know that there is a little bit of a a chronology time frame problem, um, it it quite possibly could have been close to a thousand years since, you know, Solomon's death where Israel was completely devoid of their of their king and their God. And so when he spoke to some of those uh, in Judea at the time, some heard his voice and some did not hear his voice. That being 900 years later, that to me is, is a remarkable testament for how long the generations continued to really share about this Yahweh, the Creator, long after they'd been delivered into captivities, long after they had ever had the Davidic kingdom and the kingdom of Solomon and Matthew chapter 15, um, you know, those that were there heard him confess that Israel was his sheep. Um, And this one here kind of jumped out at me, John chapter 10, because I kind of wanted to get both the baiters and the haters. John chapter 10, verse 24. And let's see, John 10, 24 to 31. You got it? Go, 24 to 31. I've got one. It's not the one you had in mind. Oh, okay. Go ahead with yours. John twelve nineteen. After that, he had rode in on the donkey. The Pharisees yeah. said one to another, "You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him." Boy, if that doesn't describe the press and the bad seed, nothing does. Absolutely. That's a great point. I mean, that's another great scripture. Now, just quick, flip back to 1024. And um, then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not, because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. So so here they were. That's an unequivocal declaration in my mind that the Pharisees that he was speaking to were clearly not his sheep. But our church world won't teach this scripture exactly as it is. And so if they are not his sheep, they must be someone else, not of the 12 sons 
of the 12 sons of Jacob Israel. And so that right there starts us going, okay, well, who is this man? He's either, who are these men? They are either race haters or race baiters. Or Satan. Yeah, I suppose one could throw in whatever other uh, donkey myth that they want to. They are the haters. They hate the system, didn't they? Yep. There's no better example of the Antichrist. Now now, Now let's go back forward to John chapter 19. And, you know, if you want to learn about who the people of God are, the Gospel of John is a good one. John 19.12. Therefore, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews... Now, let me make a clarification. I know we know this, but for somebody that might pick up the the audio... Well, let me finish the scripture, and then I'll do it. Um, 19.12. Thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Okay, let's just stop there. If you are not going to, if you are not going to do what we want you to do, then you are not Caesar's friend. So clear indication that they're going to bait them, they're going to bait, if you will, uh, Pontius Pilate, and what are they going to do? They're going to use a racial connotation because they're going to declare that this man is not of them, so they're going to make a racial declaration that he's an imposter. Whosoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth, sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. So, once again, I don't know how you can, you know, just gloss over scriptures like this and say, um, you know, that there is no, uh, somebody is baiting. And if they were not his people, then they were race haters. If they were not his sheep, they were race haters. Are you following my line of logic? My line of logic? Absolutely. And, all right, now, anywhere, just like in this scripture where the word Jew is there, it's from the Old Testament, whether Old Testament, New Testament, it's been mistranslated. Uh, And this isn't said, for anyone who picks up the archives, this is not said to fit a doctrine. It is said to you because it is actually the truth and that the word has been mistranslated. In this passage of scripture here, it is... G-I-U, and it is nearly always in the rest of the New Testament scriptures, the word G-I-U. And it's of old French word, translated Jew throughout the New Testament, nearly always, and we've done a number of studies on this, Israel, Judah, and Jew, where we go over this in quite detail. So this is just another one of the things that has to be understood, but it's based upon the Greek, E-U deos. Eu deos, or meaning of Judea 
or Judean. So that Iudeos is I-O-U-D-A-I-O-U-S. And that's the, the, the Greek pronunciation or the Greek word for the word that's used there in these scriptures. So it's geographical. Uh, just like we in America are Americans, those in Austria are Austrian, those in Brazilian are Brazilian. It's a geographical connotation. In the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible, page 897, I found this from the old Oxford English uh, Dictionary, verse 5, page 576 of 1933. It says, quote, The word Jew began wider use after 1300 as it appeared in the Saxon language to refer to or describe the religion of Judaism, not as a reference to a genealogical race of Israelite called Jews. That's, you know, again, we're losing some of this information because even these dictionaries are being rewritten. And there's not a single professing Christian who can identify a single scripture anywhere in the Bible where Christ is ever referred to or called by a name or a term of Judean. So not only can he not be classified as a Judean, being of the geographical location of Judea, but he also cannot be called it as a racial distinction because we are told that he came like as his brethren and he unequivocally declared he came only for his sheep. So, in the Greek, where it's rendered Iudeos or Iudeos, from Greek, uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon, that word is number 2453, and it says, belonging to the Jewish race. And I had to put in parentheses to myself on that note, if it could be called a race. And it can't be. But that's what they intended to convey. Second part of that definition from Thayer's Greek lexicon was Jewish as respects birth, race, religion, a Jew. Uh, continuing, the Apostle John, and this was very eye-opening to me from Thayer's, Quote, the Apostle John, and I have not quoted this before from Greek, uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon. I came upon this the other night. The Apostle John, quote, the Apostle John, inasmuch as agreeable to the state of things in his day, he looked upon the Jews as a body of men hostile to Christianity, with whom he had come to see that both he and all true Christians had nothing in common as respects religious matters. Even in his record of the life of Christ, meaning the Gospel of John, or his other writing attributed to him out of Revelation and First John, not only himself, First and Second John, not only himself makes a distinction between the Jews and Jesus, but ascribes to Jesus and his apostles' language in which they distinguish themselves from the Jews as though the latter sprang from an alien race. 
and those who opposed his divine master and cause, especially the rulers, priests, members of the Sanhedrin, Pharisees. End quote. I had one more sentence there that I added, which was a reminder of, um, I said, Christ likewise at Matthew 23, 2 conveys they had positioned themselves in the seat of Moses. I had to make sure that wasn't part of the quote, but it's not. So there's a quote from Thayer's Greek lexicon that I had not found even when we did Israel, the series uh, Fellowships, Israel, Judah, and Jew. Um, and, you know, Paul, con- Paul confesses this deception that he was under. Flip over to Galatians chapter 1, verse 3. I was kind of going over this last night and uh, studying on it a little bit because uh, I thought it was very encouraging, at least to me, as I began to think about race baiters and race haters. Uh, anybody there, go ahead. I'm having trouble getting past Ephesians, but all right, I'm there. Galatians. Go ahead, Russell. What's the number in Galatians? Galatians one thirteen. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. You don't hear much That's... of that in the yeah, now, what, are, what translation are you reading from there? Uh, this is the New American Standard. Uh, well, and from the Berean Study Bible, that's what I found also. For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how severely I persecuted the church. And the church simply means the assembly of God and tried to destroy it. Um, so he, he's confessing and made a confession that he had been deceived by this very thing, being a Pharisee himself. And God used him, um, brought upon him a conversion there on the road to Damascus, and essentially brought it to his mind and acknowledgement of what he's doing uh, and what he was doing to the body of Christ. But clearly, Paul recognized in that scripture that he was in error, that he had been deceived. You know what I mean? A very good example of that, isn't it? It is. And I had never really seen that before. I've got, you know... Go ahead. I've never seen it. And the use, of, the use of the word Judaism by both the Berean and the New American Standard, I find that interesting. You said you were reading New American? Uh, yes. And see, in the uh, King James... It's the American Standard Bible, whatever that is. Oh, the American Standard, okay. Um, in in the in the King James it says, "For you have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it." So I had always just read the word Jews and 
always in the New Testament, I have to make a distinction in my mind that it's either referring to uh, Judah or Judean, either the tribe of Judah or it's referring to Judean. And there are a couple scriptures in the New Testament where I have trouble trying to successfully uh, make sure that I make that distinction, whether it's geographical or if it's tribal. And, but in this scripture right here, um, that was a very telling scripture to me because it is a distinct and separate religion that is being referred to here. And while we've known these, these Pharisees certainly believed differently and had different beliefs and so forth, I've never made this connection here. I don't want to belabor it, but I, I found it another enlightening point to me to recognize that Paul was caught up in a religion. Not only a religion, but religiosity also, the hypocrisy of the religion, and clearly a well-trained individual that had to become converted and changed from what he had previously understood. Um, and when you think back to the scripture that we read in John chapter 19, it was Je the Jews who accused Pilate of seditious actions. It was the Pharisees, I, I should probably say more accurately, it was the Pharisees who accused Pilate basically of sedition action against Caesar. If, if Pilate didn't sentence this man to death. And once again, look at the way they did it. They baited him. And got him to do their bidding. When we were talking about the article volume there a few weeks back also, and uh, Rich mentioned that uh, early here in the fellowship about uh, it being uh, descriptive of, of Christ, but in that, um, in that article volume, it made a clear distinction between the light-haired Christ and the dark-haired, tawny features of the Jews. In fact, um, I went back to the article volumes and I wrote this down out of it. Quote, I would warn the Romans, this was Pilate's record recorded in the article volumes, which was found in the Library of the Vatican. Um, which is where that uh, information was drawn from for the Arco volume. Quote, I would warn the Romans to be aware of the high priests of this country. What country was he talking about? The country that Pilate was the governor of, and that was Judea. And he says, I would warn the Romans to be aware of the high priests of this country, Judea, they would betray their own mother to gain office and luxurious living, end quote. So right there is another testament. They had the high office, they had the high luxurious living, 
and they weren't about to let this Galilean come in and ruin their high office and their luxurious living. Once again, falsely accusing the false accusers. Well, it's the same thing with Herod, wasn't it? Exactly. Herod heard about the king of Judea. He was troubled, wasn't he? Absolutely. That same thing with Pharaoh. Remember the study we did? And you brought up the point, you know, that Pharaoh, um, you know, was in the same position to to recognize that, uh, hey, if if we don't do something about this, and so basically he baited the people, became a false accuser to the rest of the Egyptians that, hey, these people, just because they've been living amongst us and they're so nice and all this good stuff and they work hard and they're diligent and everything else, we better rise up against them lest the, you know, and, and take matters into our hands how we're going to deal with these people now because if an enemy comes against us, they might just take up arms against us. So once again, same old mind frame, same, same you know, thinking. Yeah. Yeah, and it's never a conspiracy, is it? No, and, and again, you know, when you think about the two manner of people that were recorded in Genesis 25, 22, and 3, which was Esau and Jacob, um, and in fact, all the rest of the 25 chapters between Genesis 25 and Genesis chapter 50, it really sets a profound stage and a distinction of these two manners of people. And one's going to have a birthright by election and grace, and one's going to despise his birthright and in fact sell it for a bowl of pottage and God knew all of this before it ever before it ever happened. And this is why they always have to make such a big deal about Jacob stealing the birthright. But that's not true. It's a false report. The Bible says that the birthright was going to be in Jacob. Just because Rebecca felt like she had to perform a um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Human. Um, um, carnal. A, uh, a carnal, very... carnal. Carnal. No, just because Rebecca believed that she had to perform a carnal act in order to uh, ensure that God's divine uh, word was going to be, in fact, fulfilled, um, by instructing Jacob to go deceive his father, his aged father, and dim and eyesight, just because she felt the necessity to engage in some carnal act to do that has nothing to do with the fact. The fact is, is God already already ordained it, foreordained it. But when you think about and you understand that profound distinction between the two manners of people right there in and of itself, it brings clarity into how you see these Pharisees interacting with Christ. And as I say, I think it it brings me to the point of a title for this fellowship, Race Baiters and Race Haters. 
You see, Jacob, Israel is falsely accused at the instigation continually of who? Esau, Edom. Everything that we see that's going on right now. You know, you've got the Mark Levin out there, and everybody thinks the Mark Levin is the, is the Jewish guy who uh, is, is just on our side. And yet you have to ask the question, wait a minute, if he's on your side, then why is he standing on the side of those who are the haters and the baiters? Well, he's not, Doug. What do you mean? Well, wait a minute. Everybody in his Judaism is involved in Hollywood, just, you know, everything with the pornography industry. Um, they're the ones that are constantly promoting strife uh, across nations. It's, it's like if, if they're the ones promoting usury. Uh, they're the ones promoting fiat uh, paper currencies. So, you know, what else can you say? Now, again, I don't say these things because I'm just going to bait race or race bait and race hate. I say this because it's true and it's factual. There can be good Christians and bad Christians. One might say there can be good Jews and bad Jews. Or one could say there could be a good seed of Esau or a bad seed of Esau. And the fact remains the same, apparently, according to the word of God, is that it's not possible because he said, you either love me or you don't. If you love me, you love the Father. If you, love, if you profess you love the Father, then you have to love, love me because you've got to go through me. I and the Father are one, he said. I, and all the dominion was given over to the hand of the Son. And we know that Esau is Edom. The Bible tells us a half a dozen times just in Genesis 36 alone. And many of the Bible students wouldn't even know any of that. We know that Edom is the landmass called Idumea, and it lied right straight to the south of that portion that was given to Judah. It was natural that Judah would be infused by this very people and a people that had no connection to the 12 tribes, Jacob Israel people, or the 13 subsequent tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh being substituted for Joseph. Basically, the vast majority of Christians callously disregard that biblical and historical record, and therein, I believe, lies the root of bitterness, which is the impetus of the crime of race that Jacob Israel is always accused of. <clears throat> because Esau knows how to bait, race bait, and race hate. Because Jacob himself is a race hater. He hated that race and lineage of people which was his brother, Jacob, and he hated him with a passion. Not only that, he even... Well, the scripture's clear that he hated Israel. He, he, he prevented Israel from coming through their land. But it says that Esau 
found out that the daddy did not like the Canaanites, so that's who he sought to marry. Absolutely. You know, in the book of Jasher, in the book of Jasher at twenty nine thirty one, um, and Jasher is referenced in the biblical record. The Bibles actually included it in the first, the earliest Geneva Bibles. Even the current productions of the Geneva Bible don't actually have it in it. But um, at twenty nine thirty one in the book of Jasher, it says. Take my sword in thy hand and pursue Jacob and lurk for him and slay him with the sword. Genesis 27:41, Esau hates his brother and claims that he stole the birthright. So there's, you know, this is all recorded. You know, God allowed Edom to inhabit the land of, of Idumea. Esau is Edom, remember, the scripture says it six times. Another interesting thing was, oh, I made a note to myself about Mount Seir. Mount Seir is one of Edom's landmark in the northern part of Idumea, and both Amos and Malachi um, record uh, some pretty unfavorable prophecies concerning uh, Edom, and certainly there's a number of other written records, but Josephus in Book 13, Chapter 9, uh, 1, tells us they were here and after, excuse me, I'll quote it, quote, they were hereafter no other than Jews, meaning Judeans, thenceforth the Edomites became a section of the Jewish, uh, meaning Judean, people. John Hyrcanus conquered the whole of Edom and undertook the forced conversion of his inhabitants to Judaism. Encyclopedia Judaica, Volume 6, under the head Edom, page 378, says, quote, In the days of John Hyrcanus, the Edomites became a section of the Jewish or Judean people. The Edomites were then incorporated with the Jewish or Judean nation and their country was called by the Greeks and Romans Idumea, Ptolemy, Geography, Volume 16. So there's just two, three, or four different records of who the Edomites, uh, how they were being incorporated into uh, Judea, the land, geographical landmass known as Judea, which included Jerusalem, certainly. And um, in well, Mark well, chapter 3, go ahead. I think I think that Herod was one. Yeah, Herod was an Edomite. Yeah, but Herod was be, Herod was when Christ was born. But um, well, I don't know what I was going to say there. But yeah, yeah, and what I was going to say, I guess, was yeah, he was the one who wanted to kill all the children two years and younger in order to ensure that this king that the Magi had told him about. Were, was not yeah, was not going to supplant him. He didn't want to kill them all. He killed them all. Yeah. Had them yeah. killed. That's a he very might have, good... He might have sent a virus out. <laughs> no. Yeah, but if you would have... Go. In verse 7, 
In verse 7, it says Herod secretly called the Magi. So that sounded like a conspiracy theory to me, didn't it? Yeah, that is interesting. You know, you read that so many times and you don't think about it, and there it is. He secretly. Uh-huh. And he was he was troubled and he was enraged because he couldn't get his hands on that little baby. And he, you know yeah. what? He knew. He knew, didn't he? He knew it was real. And I'm telling you, our dark-sided, our dark-sided uh, adversaries know that he's real too. So don't think for one second that they wouldn't kill millions of Americans to destroy us. Some hokey virus theory. You know, and they've been killing millions of those that crossed the Caucasus Mountains that Rich had mentioned. Um, they've been killing millions of them all along, and uh-huh. um, in their phony wars and and so forth. You know, this uh-huh. one kind of kind of came to my attention here in the last uh, last evening, actually. I thought I remembered something, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, so I started trying to find it in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 3, verse 8, it says, And from Jerusalem... Okay, wait a minute. Let me go to 7. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And I thought I remembered, you know, hearing or reading, uh, I should say, somewhere about Idumea. Well, isn't that interesting? Because it tells us right there that there were multitudes that followed him. Now, just because... Mark writes that multitude followed him does not necessarily mean that all that followed him followed him in the sense that you think followed him means. And since they were from Idumea, since some of them were from Idumea, it got me thinking, how many of these Idumeans were following him in order to spy him out? What a great and I, point. And I think the answer to that is probably fairly clear because we have scriptural record that says that they were trying to trip him up and spy him out and see what they could hang him on, supposedly, you know, or what theoretically. So now, one last thing that I thought I heard and I think I read it from Congressman Paul Findlay's book but I didn't find it there. I looked it up a different way. Congressman Abernathy read into the congressional record in 1957, uh, page 8,559, and uh, it's an excerpt from a statement from Israel Cohen, who was a leading communist uh, during that period of history. And it was titled, A Racial Program for the 20th Century. Quote, 
we must realize that our party's most powerful weapon is racial tension. While inflaming the Negro minority against whites, we will endeavor to instill in the whites a guilt complex for their exploitation of Negroes, end quote. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I read things like this or when I remember having read them, and as I say, I think I read this or something similar to this from Congressman Paul Finley's book, which was um, They Dare to Speak Out. And as I say, I've got that book somewhere, but I didn't, I didn't look for it. I just went ahead and tried to find this in the congressional record, and I did. And uh, so once again, you know, I'm trying to give the statistical information, back it up with the, you know, the physical proof, if you will, so that people can understand. Now, Russell, when you sent me that video about this former guy in the, um, uh, uh-huh. you know, in the Hollywood and stuff, you know, it's it's another one of these things where we have to spend a certain amount of time in order to digest what's being said and and at the end of at the end of all of his his grand awakening you know this uh-huh. this this obviously a fabulously wealthy stunt man for hollywood who's uh-huh. made bukus of bucks doing the stunts that were required of him and so forth. Um, So in the end, he basically says, you know, he wants to do movies and he wants to do movies that would would show, I guess, good things uh, instead of these bad things that Hollywood is noted for. And the thought occurred to me, you know, fella, if you really want to do something, what you ought to do is movies about all the things that have happened to people who these people have done things to. You see, if you want to compel people to understand why they should vomit and spit out the bad taste that they have in their mouth, that's what you ought to do. And I didn't get the sense that that's what he was really conveying, but rather that he just liked to do movies that would would bring out the good things, you know, uh, that Hollywood is able to bring out, meaning, I guess, movies and entertainment that would still be entertainment without, you know, the the agendas and the the ritualistic uh, programs that they have. Is that the sense you got at the end, uh, or any I, I, anything? The, the sense I got was he's late to the party. Yeah. <laughs> stuff for years, and glad yeah. you figured it out. Now what? You know. Yeah. You need. Yeah. But, but I want to read something to you. Okay. And uh, and it's out of Mark eight, and it's verse fifteen, and this is Jesus talking, and he says, and and relate this to where we're at today. Watch out. Be aware. Okay? He's telling us, know 
what the leaven of our adversaries is. Okay? He wants us to be aware of what this power is that they use that puts them on the pedestal. Am I right here? Yeah, absolutely. And it appears to be it appears to be corruption and money. Wouldn't you say that leavens them up real good? Well, yeah, you know, and, and the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod, you know. Yeah. And so, once again, if we understand who the Pharisees are and we understand that John understood them to be no friend of Christ, Christianity, and the will of the Father then that, he, that warning and so forth should still be a, a warning that we would heed today. And, you know, well, couldn't, you said... Evan, couldn't it be stealing, killing, uh, yeah. and destroying? And destroy? Yeah, and, mean, and, you, and, you, and you used a word and said adversary. But, you know, I think that we've got to really be, I understand what you meant when you said adversary. But Absolutely, you got it. And it takes me right back to Luke chapter 1, and it says in verse 71, let's just read it. Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. That's from Jeremiah 3.8. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. And there you have it. Race baiters and race haters. And that's what's going on here. And these are enemies. It's, it's not enough to say that they are adversaries. We clearly get the adversarial aspect, adversaries of the way, adversaries of the ways of God. But these are enemies. And it's time that Christians begin to look at these race baiters and race haters as the enemies that they are of our race and our people and certainly our way, which is the ways of Christ. It certainly is supposed to be our way, but we know that our nation is bound in the hypocrisy because our people have lost their way. They have lost the way. Well, okay, let's say it. They have been led astray. Yeah. We've been hit through the pulpit. That's where I lay the blame. You know, back to that word, remember when I used word in Galatians, or people rather, the word people in Galatians, and I said there's proofs in the Bible. Here's one of them right here and still in Luke chapter 1, dropping down to 76 and 7 and maybe 8. Uh, We can stop at 77 quick. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, 
to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. So again, when I said the word people there in Galatians does mean his people, this is exactly why, because he is saying here in Zechariah's prophecy that it is to his people. Now, just because you see that, say that, just because it's recorded, most people recoil at that and say, oh, well, then we are the racist, or then God is a racist. No. He did something specifically. He commissioned somebody specifically. He carried it out. He punished them severely, promised them that he would redeem them, and did, and then promised he was going to recovenant with them, and he did. Hebrews 8.8. And so he's right back with the same people that he always was working with and prophesying for and redeeming in behalf of the covenant that he made to Abraham. So just a little bit on race baiters and race haters. There's obviously more that we could do, but that's just a a little bit of a short preview, I guess, or a preview that ought to get you thinking at least. And uh, I think we should expound on it. Yeah. Because obviously, obviously there's some stupid people wandering around the United States of America that are apologizing yeah. for being what they were born. That's well, and, and, and the blacks uh, are all too quick to point out all of the white people at the front lines of their protests and, and so forth. They're all too quick. They can't, they can't wait for a minute to be able to ask the question, well, why do you suppose all these white people are there? You know? Well, yeah, they're deceived. They're disillusioned. They, don't, uh, you know, they have a lot of you know, uh, misunderstood information that's been given to them. Uh, and, and again, it's not about the black hating the racist white. I believe that what we are experiencing is exactly this, race baiters and race haters, and it is those who want to destroy Jacob Israel. If the blacks can be used in order to accomplish that objective, they will use them. And who is the they? They are the race baiters and the race haters who do it routinely. And all you've got to do is open your eyes and you will see the race baiters and the race haters have constantly been people in high positions, people who do not want their positions of lording over other, uh, other people uh, removed and want to make them beholden to them. So whether it's Jews in high places or uh, white Caucasian Israelites in high places um, who do not understand history and so forth and are, you know, whether it's a Joe Biden um, who does what he does because he likes to maintain his high positions, all the while he's holding his thumb on the race that he claims to be, you know, so 
uh, for and and not against. So, you know, that's or, the idea. Or or Benjamin Netanyahu, who's over exactly. there right now stealing land while all this is going on in America at at will. He's just at he's, will. Yeah, unopposed. And, and he has his mouthpiece, Mark Levin, on American radio saying, you know, this is the time. You know, he should go in now. Uh, he's been given, a, you know, another chance with this election, and he's only got so much time, and you yeah. better do it now. And, and the whole Christian community is going, yeah, 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 go yeah. Israel, go Israel, because they, again, are deceived and don't even know who Israel is. And if they do know, they don't care because, hey, they're being fed by it. They've got their, their high positions and their clergy. Netanyahu says this is the most pro-Israel president in the history of the United States. I don't think I could deny it. I couldn't either. But I, I need to say a prayer. Yep, Let let's start, do it. Start a prayer and maybe I'll finish up. But I want to ask God, Jesus, Creator in heaven, Yahweh, Lord, one of yours is over there right now in hard labor. See her through it, Lord. We We cry out to you to see her through the labor and have a... Uh, a new child that we can grow up and fight your enemies and be salt of the earth. Lord, just watch over Amber as she struggles. Make it make it as pain-free as possible. Make it all go well in your way and your plan, Jesus. We we call out to you tonight. Look after her, protect her, Jesus. And when when it's all said and done and we have that little baby, we'll give you the glory. Amen. Tell everybody Amen. how wonderful you are. Yes, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the blessed little child that was brought up here a week ago as well, that she was born premature, but Father... Sounds like things are going okay yet, and uh, Father, we know that this was a hospital birth, and we just pray for your angels to be around all those that are working with this child, uh, less than four four pounds. So, Father, we know that uh, that you've got a lot of hardworking Israelites in these hospitals, and we just pray that that those hands would be the hands that will be upon that child. And so we pray for that as well. Mother is doing fine. We thank you for that, Father. We give praise and glory to you in that. And Father, uh, we pray for safe return and travels for those that have been traveling this this week here and going places to see family and so forth. Father, I pray that uh, you would abate this this virus or that you would cause your people not to fear, that they've seen enough and know enough to know that um, you've got it built into the system to be able to fight this thing. There will be some that will be deeply affected by it because of current health conditions. But Father, we know that 
you know what's going on, and we pray that you will continue to just rise up and show our enemies how great you are and how you're able to work in all of our bodies and uh, turn out uh, these attempts that they have to destroy us. Father, that's our prayer. We thank you for being with us in our work and uh, the jobs that we have that, Father, under these conditions and these trying times, that you will bless those that are yours in their finances. We ask it and we give thanks for all of it. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, men, I know we've been running over a little bit here, so we can sign off and catch up with you next week. And trust uh, me, Amber's, Amber's doing well, Russell. I know you're probably heading back over there, so we'll talk at you later. Okay, we'll see you guys. All right, good night now. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, Rich. Good night.